0: Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And what shall I more say? It's notable that the writer of Hebrews goes on for another two chapters after this. <laughs> but, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. Up to this point he's told us all about Abel, about Enoch, about Noah, about Abraham, about Sarah, about Moses, about Joseph, about Isaac about um, Rahab, about how Jericho fell, all these great stories of where people put faith into action. Perhaps that's not really a correct phrase because faith is action. Faith has action with it. We know faith is not just believing in our head what God says but actually doing it and putting it into practice. That's faith. It lays the ground for the thing that will come. God says, do this and that will happen. Pray, lay hands on someone and they'll be healed. Okay, action, consequence. Now you can believe that the action will bring the consequence, but unless you put the action into action, the consequence will never happen. So faith is not just the believing, but it's putting the action in as well. And that's what chapter 11 of Hebrews is all about. And now he's saying, and there's so many more I could tell you about. Gideon, Barak, David, Samson, and so on. Verse 33, these people, through faith, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. <clears throat> Not men from Mars, it's the old word for foreigners. This is the sort of thing that these people did. And today we're going to look at Gideon, the first of those mentioned in verse 32. And we'll see Gideon, a man of faith, a man who put God's word into action. Let's go to Judges chapter 6, verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. So Midian is another nation nearby Israel. The word Midian actually means um, brawling, contending, uh it implies discord and contention right that's what midian means and and uh whether it was um indicative of the people the midianites character or not perhaps it was i don't know uh but um there's always a bit of symbolism and meaning in the names uh throughout the bible as well so god's people have been have been uh, are being oppressed by um you know a hard uh quarrelsome People. Verse two: In the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. It means that it was strong, <clears throat> and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them that made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds, so that they've resorted to to hiding. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till they'll come into Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. So whenever Israel would sow crops, and we getting to the time of harvest and so on, then these people would come up, take everything, like a plague of locusts, through the land, to take absolutely everything, leaving nothing left for the people of Israel to eat. Uh, all the way through to Gaza so <clears throat> so a lot of the so a lot of the land of Israel verse 6 and Israel was greatly impoverished because of the midianites and the children of Israel cried unto the lord so here's this vast strong and consuming enemy that's come against God's people right it's because of their disobedience in on this occasion but this is the situation they find themselves in Israel is greatly impoverished that so means feeble greatly feeble oppressed brought low emptied out made thin made dry this is what this is what this word impoverished means so this is the state of israel at this time now of course it's not just a story for then it's a story for now and this can be us sometimes oppressed by something that seems far bigger far greater than us consumed by it, we feel dry, thin, emptied out. I don't have anything left. That can be us sometimes. Enter Gideon, <clears throat> verse eleven. And there came an angel of the Lord, and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite, and his son, that is Joash's son, Gideon, threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it. From the Midians. Now you don't normally thresh wheat uh, by hand or using or near a wine press or anything like that. You usually do it with an ox or two or or, or whatever. Um, but as we just read, children of Israel are greatly impoverished. Um, Gideon's resorted to other measures to to thresh this wheat, right, to get the good stuff out from the from the you know the husk and all that sort of thing. Um, he's doing it by hand. It's very, very hard work to thresh wheat just for yourself, let alone for a whole family, a whole household. or goodness knows how many he's doing it for. Uh, He's doing it in a place where he's he's hiding from the Midianites. Um, So this is our introduction to Gideon, hiding, toiling, um, toiling very hard and in the middle of a land that's impoverished. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valour. You can imagine Gideon, sort of, me? <laughs> Are you talking to me? You know, am I on candid camera? <laughs> what's, what's going on here? Right? The last thing he feels like is a mighty man of valour. He's hiding behind some stone wall or, or, or inside a winepress or something like that, threshing wheat by hand, hoping that the Midianites don't see him. Mighty man of valour. I think the the angel of the Lord is is all straight away, right off the bat, he's calling to what's actually inside Gideon and who he knows Gideon to be. Gideon doesn't realize it yet. But Gideon's own name uh, actually means feller as in like a, you know, felling things, not a feller as in not a lady, but um, felling things. And the implication is a warrior. That's Gideon's name. Um, <clears throat> mighty, as the as the angel addresses him, means exactly that—a warrior, even a tyrant, someone who seriously you know knows how to how to rule, how to defeat others. Valor is force and vast means and vast resources and vast strength and vast power. So this is the angel of the Lord who speaks on behalf of God. In fact, whenever you read about an angel of the Lord, you're introduced to them. And then in the, in the next verses that follow, as you, as you might see in here, um, <clears throat> sometimes it just forgets about the angel of the Lord and says, the Lord says. It's still the angel of the Lord speaking, but he's very much connected in with headquarters. And he's speaking on behalf of God. So God himself is saying, you, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. And Gideon's going, uh, <laughs> uh, no, nah, not me. And that's Gideon's problem. That's Gideon's problem. No, nah, no, nah, not me. I'm not. He can't identify with what the angel is saying he is. We'll read on a bit. Verse 13, And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord. Now he hasn't recognized this is the angel of the Lord yet. He's using Lord as in, you know, master respect sort of for this person. O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. (laughs) Where? What? Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house, focusing on the natural. Verse 16, And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Don't worry about how many there are, camels and men that you can't even count. It'll be just like fighting one other person. Verse 17, And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. This is Gideon speaking. He's asking for a sign. He's starting to realize something's up. <clears throat> he's being told that he's going to save Israel from the Midianites. He's going to be the one that leads the show and and uh, and so on. He's been sent. He's starting to clue in that this person may not just be any other person, but hasn't really sort of realized fully yet. And the good thing about Gideon is that he hasn't let his lack of confidence just completely, you know, um, write him off. He's open to it. He's heard the miracles. He's heard the stories about about the exodus and the provision of manna and all that stuff, no doubt, and the fights that would have happened in the promised land, Jericho falling down, all the conquest and so on. He would have heard about Joshua and Caleb for sure. All those people and all those events and all those circumstances and the Lord God of his people, he's heard it. He knows about it. He hasn't seen it (laughs) because of the situations that his people are currently in. But he knows about it and he's open to it. He's struggling to believe it. Again, that can be us sometimes. Find ourselves in those situations where something's got a hold of us, but we know from past experience and from the testimonies and from the Word of God and from the Holy Spirit within that, well, the Lord does do things for us. He has delivered me before. He delivered that person just the other day. He filled that one with the Holy Spirit the other day. I can see these things happen, but where is it now in my life? And Lord, I know you've called me and, and, and you want me to do this and you want me to do that and so on, but, but really, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to show me. You're gonna have to lead me. This is where Gideon's gotten to. And we see a little bit of a trend, uh, in the story of Gideon here. He asks for signs. This is what Gideon does, right? So he's asked for a sign that, that this guy's talking with him. Verse 18, depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present. And set it before thee, and the angel of the Lord said, I will tarry until thou come again. So he's going to go get something for him. Verse 19, and Gideon went in and made ready a kid. That's a goat, <clears throat> a young goat, and unleavened cakes of an ephah, of flour. And you may remember that an ephah is ten omers. The flesh he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot. He's made some sauce for him as well, it's pretty good. <laughs> and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. Now as we go through, we're not going to do a full-on forensic examination of the entire story of Gideon. What I really want to focus in on now that we've set the scene, we've seen the situation, we've seen Gideon and where he's, the base that he's coming from, Right. What I really want to do now is focus in on these signs that the Lord gives Gideon. This one's pretty easy, you know, if we're thinking spiritually. A kid, you know, the sacrificial lamb for the Passover could be a sheep or a goat. It didn't matter. You can read about that in Exodus. That's interesting in and of itself because as we know, Jesus Christ was the Passover lamb. And one day the sheep and the goats are going to be separated but Jesus Christ died for them all. And, and any can come to him at this current time. So it's highly significant that the Passover lamb, lamb, could be a lamb as we think of it, a sheep or a kid, a goat, because Christ died for all. And here we have, as so often we find through the Old Testament stories, Christ typified in this little story as the kid. It's been made ready. It's been killed and it's been made ready for consumption. Unleavened cakes. Jesus Christ himself identified himself as the bread of heaven. We take, even today, we're going to take some unleavened bread to symbolize his broken body. Now, when they were wandering around in the um, in the wilderness and God was providing manna for them, which was bread from heaven, literally, the Lord told them, just collect an omer a day. Just an omer, that was a measure. Today we've got you know, um, cups and um, tablespoons and stuff like that. Well, an omer was a measure. I don't know exactly how much. <clears throat> Ten omers makes up an ephah. These unleavened cakes are made of the full measure in the story of Gideon. Again, typifying Jesus Christ and everything that he was. We get a little bit of it. We've actually got the full lot. But what we've managed to access through our life as we walk in the Lord and, and really tap into the Holy Spirit, we know we move from glory to glory, slowly growing into the image of Jesus Christ, the fullness of him. And that will, be, that will come into its fullness when, when he returns. Our, our little mission is to see how close we can get before that happens. But until then, you know the fullness of Jesus Christ and who he was and who he is and his character and his example and his service and his love And his mission and his anointing and all of that, we're still just a little you know, parts of it. But here, this is the full measure, the full ten parts, right? Not just the little bit that we manage to collect each day. That's what the unleavened cakes here typify. The broth. The angel of the Lord asked him to pour it out. And Christ, we can read about him being poured out. He gave of everything that he had, he emptied himself right out. So in the kid, in the cakes, and in the broth, we've got Jesus Christ. It's just an example. This this actual story did actually happen. There was actually a goat. There was actually you know unleavened bread. There was actually broth and so on. But it, it's a symbol as well for us. Jesus Christ was utterly consumed, as we're going to read verse twenty. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth, and he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes, which were presumably really, really wet from the broth. You might remember Elijah did something similar with the water on the sacrifice and so on. just makes it all that more miraculous. The fire coming up, up out of a rock wasn't already great enough. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. It was a quick meal, that one. Verse 22. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. They used to think that if that happened, they were dead. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe someone can research that one for us. But, um, verse 23. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee. Fear not. Thou shalt not die. And Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom, which means, God my peace, your God is peace. So <clears throat> this is our introduction to Gideon. And we can see right from the start this, this man lacking confidence, lacking uh, a real confidence and knowledge and understanding of who he actually really is through the Lord is given a sign by God, all right? In Hebrews Chapter 1, we read, God has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. And here we have the sign of his Son who was sent for us. He was utterly consumed. He was utterly poured out. He was prepared for consumption. He was uncorrupted, unleavened bread. He was the full measure, utterly consumed. That's God saying, I'm trying to get through. Remember what Gideon asked for? Give me a sign that you talk with me. Well, in our life, if you're feeling oppressed, if you're feeling under whatever it is that's got a hold of you, you're feeling not quite confident that God's going to come through for you, that the identity that he's given you as a son and a daughter of the living God is actually true and real and comes with all of the benefit and all of the might and force that heaven can muster, well, then remember this. God gave his son, his only begotten son, That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, should not be beholden to anything other than God himself, but have everlasting life. That's the sign. You want a sign? That's the sign. God's talking with you. God's communicating with you. Let's go to uh, verse 36. We're skipping through bits and pieces of the story. You can read the full story later on if you like. Verse 36, And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, so we find him still doubting again. That's only natural, isn't it? Uh, He was coming off a low base. The confidence was just not there. Verse 37, Behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside Then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. So now he's asking for another sign. It's a fairly miraculous one. Gideon's not scared at least to ask, you know, God to really show his miracle-working power. So let's read on and see what happens. Verse 38, and it was so. For he rose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece a bowlful of water. Great. Not enough for Gideon. (laughs) Verse 39, And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me. Good start. And I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. So he's got his, his... he sort of dictated terms a little bit, Gideon, but the Lord's patient, and he and he answered him. Because he wants Gideon to understand, I'm working with you. You know who you are. You know who I've called you to be. I said right from the start, you're a mighty man of valor. I know you don't get that, Gideon, but you're going to soon. And sooner rather than later, because you're going to help Israel uh, against the Midianites. That's what I've asked you to do. That's what I'm leading you to do. This a position I've put you in to do. So the Lord's patient with him on the first night. The fleece is wet with dew and all around is dry. And Gideon looked at it and thought, hey, that's pretty good. And then his mind started going, hmm, actually someone might have come along and just poured water on it and, you know, it could be this and blah, blah and science and so on and uh, i better get one more, even bigger and better and more miraculous just to really convince me. So the next night the dew is all around on the ground but the fleece completely dry. Now he's finally convinced. All right, praise the Lord, we're getting somewhere with Gideon. He can scarcely believe that God's chosen him. That's the problem. And again, this can be us sometimes. It can be very hard to believe that God, out of all of the people in this world, got you. Why? Who am I? Why would God choose me for anything? I know how bad I am. I know what thoughts I have. I know the things I've done. I know where I come from. I know what my prospects are. And none of it's any good. Well, like Gideon, we're focusing on the natural. Now this sign <clears throat> we read in Isaiah 53, As a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. That's about Jesus Christ. And it's uh, Isaiah 53, if you haven't read it before or not familiar with it, is a, a wonderful uh, amazingly accurate prophecy of what Jesus Christ would do for us on the cross, and with the punishment that He took, and what it would achieve. And one of the lines is, "As a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so He opened not His mouth." The fleece typifies who Christ was, His character, what He was clothed with, His example, His service. The Jew from heaven. When I um when I put this into the word search on my Bible app last night. It was one of those times when you're just writing a talk or or reading through things and you just sort of get a bit blown away by by something you never sort of realised before. The Jew from heaven um, is God's blessing and God's anointing and God's favour. It's almost always mentioned in a good context like a blessing towards someone. For example, Moses says to Israel, "'Israel then shall dwell in safety alone.' The fountain of Jacob shall be upon a land of corn and wine. Also his heavens shall drop down dew. That's just one example of a blessing put on someone where it said, you know, good things are going to happen to you, including you'll be given the dew of heaven. When the manna fell from heaven, every single morning throughout the wilderness, the dew fell first. And as the dew cleared, there was the manna. So it brought with it God's provision and God's sustenance every single morning. Every single morning his mercies are new for us. In Psalm 133 uh, of Aaron's oily beard fame, um, it talks about the unity of the brethren, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It talks about that anointing oil that was put on the beard of Aaron. And then it gives another likeness for this unity of the brethren together. It says, as the Jew of Hermon which is the largest mountain in Israel and as the Jew that descended upon the mountains of Zion for there in those places which symbolically is the church and the individuals within the church the spirit field there the Lord commanded the blessing even life forevermore so where the Lord commanded the blessing that's where the Jew fell that's where the anointing falls that's where God's favor and God's blessing and God's sustenance and provision and mercy which is new every morning and always abounding. The word Jew for in the Hebrew, it gets translated for us Jew, literally means strewn out. It covers a wide area. It's sufficient. Where God commands the blessing, that's where it falls. That's the Jew from heaven. His favor is as dew upon the grass, it says of the king in Proverbs. Job says, has the rain a father or who has begotten the drops of dew? Who? God himself, that's who. So Jew on the fleece shows God's anointing and favor on Jesus Christ. And what happened to that fleece? It was wrung out, really squeezed. But it was ringed, as it says there. He ringed the Jew. That's the same word, sorry about this, but that's the same word that is used when the instructions given to the priest to ring off the bird's head. There's some force involved, right? To wring that fleece out is to really, really work it. And Christ himself was really squeezed. He prayed in sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, which means olive press. It's the place where things get pressed so that the oil comes out of it, so that the good stuff comes out. That's where Christ, this fleece, this pure wool, his clothing, everything that he was, was really wrung out for us. It filled a full bowl, not half, not a little bit, not just a few drops. It filled the whole lot. His sacrifice and what it achieved is sufficient for us. The living water that came out fills it all, fills us right up. Just like that, that ether of flour used for the unleavened cakes, a full measure, what Jesus Christ did wasn't a half measure. wasn't even a three-quarter measure. It was totally sufficient for us. In Isaiah 53, again, it says, He shall see, God shall see of the travail of His, Jesus Christ's soul, and shall be satisfied. God shall be satisfied with that. Why? By His knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for He shall bear their iniquities. When He was wrung out for us, He bore our iniquities, and it pleased God. It filled the entire bowl. In the second aspect of this particular sign, It was dew on the ground. The fleece survived the ringing. Of course it did. It endures. It's dry again. There's no problem with the fleece. Christ's character, Christ's service, Christ's love does endure for us. And now the anointing and the favor and the blessing and the provision and the sustenance is spread right throughout everywhere else because the Holy Spirit And through it, God's grace and mercy and favor for us, the ability uh, to have healing and blessing and provision, the eternal life that springs from the Holy Spirit, the thing that's going to help us soar rather than stay oppressed, that's available to all now. We read about the Holy Spirit being poured out. It's strewn out like the dew now everywhere. And, of course, it had to be in that order, fleece first, ground afterward because Jesus Christ had to go through it 1st we'll read about the first fruits in a minute. <clears throat> so what's what are we reading? We're reading about a man who's still doubtful of his position, of who God wants to make him. And God says, you know what? Here's another sign for you. Look at my son. I loved him. He was my only begotten, and he was wrung out for you. And what came out of that is now available for you, you're feeling not confident. You're feeling scared. You're feeling oppressed. You're feeling heavy. You're feeling sad. You're feeling bitter. You're feeling confused, unclear, anxious, all those things, lacking in faith, doubtful. Just remember, you've been anointed with the dew of heaven. What's there to fear? Move forward. Do what I've told you you can do, mighty man of valor. Judges 7, verse 9. And it came to pass the same night, I better sort of say what's happened. In the meantime, Gideon's got himself an army. God's whittled it down from 32,000, I think it was, something like that. Yeah, 32,000 originally. God's whittled it down to 300. Now remember, the Midianites, Midianites, you can't count them. They're spread all throughout the valley with their camels and their everything else and so on, right? Can't count them. God's got Gideon an army of 300 men. Verse 9. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. Now God gets in first. <laughs> Instead of waiting for Gideon to go, oh, don't let your anger wax hot against me. But uh, just uh, um, verse 10, God says, But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Thura thy servant down to the host, And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. All right. So God knows Gideon, um and he's just decided to nip it in the bud and say, Look, I've already prepared a sign for you this time. Um verse twelve And the Midianites uh Yeah, verse twelve And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without number, as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow. So Gideon sort of crept down to this huge army, right? Uh, it's nighttime, so, and he probably knew the area at, at least, so he's crept down there, hiding behind a bush or something like that, close enough to, to some tents and so on. And he hears someone from the enemy talking in their tent or outside their tent around a campfire or toasting marshmallows or whatever they're doing, right? They were probably Israel's marshmallows too, um, <clears throat> talking to his fellow. Two enemy warriors talking to one another. There was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, that's what you do with dreams, you dream them. Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along the weird dream. Um, So this this bread, barley bread, rolled down into the host of Midian, the camp where they all were, banged into this tent, just made a total mess of it, lay it out completely flat. Verse 14, And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. Do you reckon the Russians have low morale at the moment? These guys weren't, weren't so great either, were they? I don't know. I, I, I suppose this is the inspiration of the Lord. The Lord can get anyone to say anything if He really wants them to. But but this was what Gideon needed to hear. Now I don't know whether this guy believed what he was saying, whether he had some special you know two for one deal on interpreting dreams or whatever. Who these people were, but this was all prepared for Gideon's sake. Why? Once again, to give him the confidence, to remind him that God is with him, to remind him that he can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth him. So, barley. This bread was made from barley. It was a barley bread cake or whatever. So, um, barley is the first crop that, ca- that comes up in Israel's agricultural seasons. I don't know if that's still the case, but back then it was the case before wheat, Right, and barley was first. You can read about barley a fair bit in Ruth. It's a good study, in fact, to look for Jesus Christ in the story of Ruth. Barley is very significant because it is the first fruits. It's the first fruits. There's a uh, particular uh, feast uh, in, the, in the Old Testament called the Feast of First Fruits and so on, and the offering is barley because that is the first fruit. So that's what comes first. In First Corinthians we read, but now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. So here we have something made from the firstfruits tumbling into the camp of the enemy. There's some force behind that, right? Think of the snowball coming down the hill, gathering momentum and size and speed and power and velocity as it comes down. Anything that it comes into by the time it reaches the bottom of the mountain is going to really cop it. Well, that's what happens with the first fruits. They've tumbled down and they've hit this tent. A tent is a temporal dwelling. It's not something that someone dwells in forever. It's a temporal dwelling. And that temporal dwelling is knocked for six by the first fruits. What are we talking about here? We're talking about all those temporal things that we experience, that we exist in. Our flesh, our mortality, sin, death, those things are all temporal. Sadness, grief, sickness, confusion, stress, anxiety, cares, worries, heaviness, bitterness, all those things are temporal, but they overcome us sometimes. We exist in them sometimes. We reside in them sometimes. We sleep in them sometimes. We don't sleep even though we're trying to sleep in them sometimes because they, they really get to us. Well, you know what can knock it out of the out of the park? Jesus Christ, the first fruits. He already has. And that's the sign. He already has. He was risen again. He was provided by God and utterly consumed. He was wrung out to get the anointing out so that it could be spread abroad and he was risen again so that we could know that we could have victory just like he did over all the rest. That passage in Corinthians goes on to say him first and us when he returns. He's the first fruits, and we're going to follow. This is nothing save the sword of Gideon, the sword. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. The word of God is Jesus Christ. That's the sword. That's the weapon. That's the victory. That's what brings victory. It will knock whatever it is you're going through right now out of the park. It already has. And what's more, it's going to knock our mortality, our sin, death, Completely out of the park. God has already given victory into your hand by Jesus Christ. We'd better finish the story. Verse 15. I want you to observe Gideon now. This was the man who almost turned his back. Really? He was this close to saying, I- "I'm not the guy. I'm really not the guy, I'm sorry. But God brought him through. He gave him these signs. We've seen what they actually really mean for us in our circumstances. So look at the change in him now. Verse 15, and it was so. When Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped, that's a good start, and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. Who's this guy? Where did he come from? This is a different person now. Finally, finally, he's going to start acting in faith, doing exactly what God has told him he can do all all along. Nothing has actually really changed except now Gideon has faith. Now he's putting it into action. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. God didn't tell him to do that. He did that. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. We don't read about God saying, I want you to get lamps and pitchers and so on and trumpets and all that. Gideon just knew what to do. He went and did it. And he said unto them, look on me and do likewise. Leading from the front. That's what this guy is doing now. And we can be that example to others in our life when we act in faith. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet... I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And he's right. It is the sword of the Lord God. It was his plan in the first place, the word of God, Jesus Christ. It was his plan, his victory, his his sacrifice, God's plan. It's also the sword of Gideon because it's our salvation. We read in 1 Corinthians, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved it is the power of God. And what Gideon's saying here is, I want you to publish it abroad. I want you to proclaim it, herald it, blow the trumpet, and shout it out. So Gideon and the hundred, verse 19, So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets. And break the pitchers that were in their hands, and of course they had the light, you know, uh, inside the pitcher, right? So it couldn't be seen until they were ready. And then when they smashed it, there's the light. And of course, I think we probably go through this stuff a lot more often. But that's like having the Holy Spirit in this earthen, in this earthen vessel. You know, you've got to smash it. We've got to break the flesh down so that the light of God through the Holy Spirit can actually be seen to all about. You've got to blow the trumpet, herald. The good news, the gospel, uh, his healing, his provision, his blessing, his eternal salvation, freedom from the temporal dwelling. What Jesus Christ did for us, shouted out from the rooftops, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, this is what you can have. It delivers us. It gives us victory. Verse 20, and the three companies blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets. It wasn't enough. They kept going. The enemies turned tail and running, but we're going to keep blowing anyway. And the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. So now the enemy's destroying itself. And the host fled to beth and Zer- Zerarath, or whatever that place is called, and to the border of that one and unto Tabath. Verse 23, And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, out of Asher and Manasseh, and pursued after the Midianites. And you read on, they catch them, uh, the princes and cut their heads off, and then they catch uh, the kings and cut their heads off and do all sorts of things all, all along the way. And Gideon's now leading the charge. He's not asking for signs anymore. You're not doubting who he is anymore. He is our Gideon. He's confident in God and therefore confident in who he is through God. The enemy is completely defeated. That 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 wicked, brutal, quarrelsome, uh, brawling, vast, consuming, strong, oppressive enemy that had Israel right under the thumb and wouldn't even let them eat their own bread, wouldn't even let them have their own peace, wouldn't even let them dwell in their own places, so much so they had to hide in mountains and caves and dens and thresh wheat behind wine presses, right, gone. Turned tail, fled, killed itself, consumed itself, destroyed, all of its leadership completely cut off, chased all the way back to Midian from whence it came and stayed. And so it can be in our life. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3, Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And we can still be brought into bondage under the elements of the world. These things get to us sometimes. Verse 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And we've read about that in the story of Gideon, and we know about it in our own life. Jesus Christ was provided completely consumed, totally wrung out. He gave absolutely everything. He was everything. His full character was the full character of God. His service and his love was from heaven itself. It was completely wrung out and full so that it could be poured out upon us. And he rose from the dead so we could have victory over sin, sickness, death. To redeem them that were under the law, the law of sin and death, it was only one place we were headed. Now we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God had sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Of course, it only happens through the Holy Spirit. That's when we change from being oppressed into a son or a daughter of the living God. Verse 7, wherefore thou art no more a servant. You're not a slave. You're not under anyone or anything's thumb no matter how hard it feels right now, you're not. Thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Right now, through what Jesus Christ did for us and through the anointing that God has put on you, the Holy Spirit, you stand to inherit everything that is God's. mighty man of valour, mighty woman of valour, that's you. We read in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's where our might comes from. That's where our valour comes from. And through the story of Gideon, that's what God's wanting us to remember. The thing that oppresses us is going to be cut down. We're no more a servant. We have to realise who we are be confident in what god has made us blow the trumpet shine the light proclaim the gospel let the spirit shine through second corinthians 5 i would like to say one very quick thing about about um the fleece in particular we often use gideon uh as sort of a practical uh example for how you know when we get to difficult decisions in life we might ask for a sign from the lord Sometimes we call it even putting out a fleece. <laughs> There's nothing inherently wrong with that. Um, sometimes decisions are hard. Sometimes they're very significant. Sometimes they're very big. If you want a sign from the Lord, don't watch the weather vane because it will just t- point whichever way the wind's blowing. And I don't mean the wind of God, right? All right, the wind, the this world. Don't watch the weather vane. Do what Gideon did. Ask for something seriously miraculous. The better approach, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, is this, for we walk by faith, not by sight. If you want a sign, as I said, don't watch the weather vane. Ask the Lord for something seriously miraculous so that you know. But otherwise, pray about it, make up your mind, go for it. In Proverbs it says, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Walk in the Spirit. You can't go wrong. If the Lord has to redirect you, he will, and he'll make it abundantly clear, and that'll be great. And because you're walking in the Spirit, you'll be only too happy to. We've already got all the signs that we need. God loves you. He's gave his Son for you. He filled you with his Spirit. He's given you assured victory. What more do we need? Let's go to Hebrews 11 to finish off. God's patient and merciful. If you find yourself in a situation where you need that little bit extra from him, he's good to give it to you. But just make sure that you're not sort of reading into absolutely everything. Ask for something pretty serious and pretty clear from the Lord. He'll give it to you. But otherwise, just walk in the Spirit. He'll direct your life. Hebrews 11, verse 32. And what shall I more say? got two chapters to go. Don't really. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Well, uh, maybe I should say, for time would tell, uh, fail me to tell of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, uh, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, like Gideon, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Indeed, God provided a better thing for us, in fact, the story of Gideon wouldn't have been complete without Jesus Christ doing what he did and the plan of God being carried out in that way and you and I receiving that better thing, that promise, the Holy Spirit, from where our eternal life eventually will come into its fullness. Gideon got through as best he could and praise the Lord he came to believe he was actually what God said he was. No need for signs anymore anymore. He was a confident man. He was a mighty man of valor. But the better thing for us is that Christ, the anointed and favored, was utterly consumed. He was completely wrung out. He gave his absolute all to be the first fruits of our anointing and our testimony and our victory over everything that would oppress us, no matter how vast, no matter how brutal, no matter how consuming it seems right now. That's the story. <clears throat> Of the faithful, mighty man of valor, Gideon. It's our story too. All the people say.